Every year around the world, millions of people are leaving their homes to seek security and a better life. While this is a difficult decision for any individual, migration has also a wider impact at the global scale. It affects societies economically, socially, culturally, and not the least, politically. This podcast investigates the consequences of migration for the Eurasian development. The series of talks leads up to our online Alexandri conference organized in October. My name is Katalin Mikroshi. Welcome aboard. It seems that we are witnessing a profound conceptual change where migration and migrants are framed as hybrid threats. Crises and wars provide an opportunity for third parties to create additional pressure in international relations. I asked a foreign policy scholar, Rihor Nizhnikov, about this topic. Rihor is a senior researcher of the Finnish Institute of International Affairs and an area expert focusing on Belarus, Ukraine and Moldova. Welcome to this podcast, finding out are the migrants the new pawns on the chessboard of geopolitics. So, Rihor, thank you for accepting my invitation to this podcast. My first question is about the latest news that we started to have during the summer about the Belarusian government using migration as a means of pressure in its foreign policy or more particularly in its EU policy. Well, this move definitely changed uh, its bilateral relations with Poland and Lithuania at the least. Now, you are an expert of foreign relations and you have studied Belarus. So how would you explain why did they start using this strategy now? Yes, thank you for this question. Uh, I think the uh, logic is quite simple. Uh, This um, migration issue is weaponized as a response to the EU actions. So we currently have quite an acute crisis in relations between Belarus and the EU. I think it's it really touched or reached the lowest level in, uh, in bilateral history. And in this regard, for Minsk, um, this is simply an asymmetric response to the latest round of EU sanctions, uh, which has been imposed in, uh, in June. Uh, the sanctions, which unlike the previous ones are quite painful because they are economic and they can become sectoral in nature quite easily. So in this regard, Lukashenko finds migration issue as um, sort of a hybrid weapon, uh, a response, and in a sense, a signal to the West that if it continues to, in his mind, uh, if it continues to escalate, uh, he has means to respond. But I would put it even more than that. I would say that besides having a function uh, as um, uh, a response to the EU, the second part of it is uh, that 
it's, it's quite instrumental for Belarus-Russia relations. I think that we have to understand that um, Lukashenko sees very well that currently uh, Kremlin is also at war with the West, a different kind of war, but this is how uh, Moscow understands the current shape of Russia-EU or Russia-West relations. So in this regard, when he puts a pressure uh, on, uh, on the West, it is recognized in Moscow, and it actually gives him a lot of extra points as an ally. So in this regard, um, he understands that Moscow sees this issue very beneficial because uh, basically without any cost, without Moscow doing anything, uh, Western uh, resources are drained and uh, West is under pressure, doesn't know what to do, but to come to Moscow for a deal over Belarus. Okay, this is really, really an exciting topic. Now, you mentioned Russia and Russian-Belarusian relations. I'm a historian, so I just have to ask that, do you know, was there anything resembling situation in the the past of Belarus? Because we know that that, uh, Stalin relocated a vast amount of people uh, in the Soviet Union, but this was mostly against uh, those people and not against the regions they were moved to. On the other hand, uh, Stalin also supported migration of the ethnic Russians to newly acquired Soviet territories after the Second World War. Uh, They were to to help to impose control over those areas like the Baltic states or Moldova. So there is a history of using migrants as pressure in the Russian case. But what about Belarus? Is there any past experience of this? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question because there's actually quite difficult to give a straightforward answer. I think probably first we can say that no, we don't see any, any resemblance with the current situation. On the other hand, we have to understand that Lukashenko and his regime are very Soviet in nature. So in this regard, they understand the, the, basically the logic of their action is very Soviet. Is actually it's rooted in uh, Soviet uh, institutional and also historical logic. So in this regard, I think we have to understand that the main idea is with any action is instrumentality. So for, in this regard, anything can become an instrument in foreign policy as well as in domestic policy. So um, the fact that we see an uh, uh, interesting leap from the, fa- from the very Soviet mantra that borders are sacred, our external borders are sacred. This is what the Soviet Union has been preaching throughout its history, that it, uh, well, we can look at all these different movies, different songs which talk about borders and that we're going to defend it to the last drop. And Lukashenko is actually himself always likes to refer to himself as a border guard because he served in the army on the border as a a sergeant. Uh, I think the fact that we see this deviation, uh, and this is what actually was the logic of the Belarusian government until 2020, that um, they defended till the last bullet or last drop and didn't, uh, they like to report that we didn't allow this uh, cargo to be going through all these people breaching the border and so on and so forth. 
But now we see a very clear break and we see that borders become purious and become very instrumental in uh, adding pressure. I think this makes the regime even more Soviet because this is exactly follows the logic, not the book or the letter of the Soviet actions. <laughs> okay. I, I want to still hang on, on, on the past for a bit longer. Uh, but I have now a question about the more recent past. Now, in 2015 and uh, the following years, there was this rumor circulating that the massive, massive wave of, of migration was, there was a, a Russian hand in it. Um, now, whatever it, whatever the truth is, um, Nevertheless, migration became a, a kind of constant subject of discussion and, and even juxtaposition in, in the European Union and Europe by and large. Now, how is this discussion affected the regions you, you monitor, especially not only Belarus, but also more widely Ukraine and Moldova? And um, how did this 2015 experience was reflected upon or understood uh, back then in this region in the in the first place? Yeah, I think the, the effect was indirect, first of all, because we know that the waves, they didn't go through the uh, Soviet region, mainly they went through the uh, Turkey and uh, Western Balkans. And uh, basically the effect was indirect and through media. And the problem, I think one of the major problems is that it went through Russian media. So the local societies in Belarus, in Ukraine and Moldova, they basically understood this crisis through the Russian lenses. And this was actually quite a big, uh, had a quite a big effect on the public attitudes towards the EU because they also uh, started to think that the EU acted wrongly in allowing these migration waves, in allowing this, let's call it uh, domestic crisis that uh, Russia, try, uh, with all this uh, uh, fake news about what happens in Germany, but not, not only fake news, of course, but uh, with all these uh, incidents. And we can understand that uh, this has been used quite efficiently. And this is a bit of a paradox because we know that for especially Moldova, and Ukraine, the EU is the ma major uh, migration destination point. So now we know that uh, basically since uh, mid 2010s, uh, the waves of Ukrainian and Moldovan labor migrants is huge and they mainly uh, aimed at the West. So in this regard, this, is, um, this caused a little bit of a, a public discussion not in the EU favor in these countries. <laughs> okay, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it is a, a kind of follow-up question that um, in Poland there are also a lot of of um, Belarusian uh, migrant workers, uh, not necessarily um, legally but illegally at least, and they they, they actually contribute a, a great deal to 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 the Polish economy. Now the question is, of course, that what will happen with them, uh, particularly now that the EU strengthened this borderline against Belarus in Poland as well. So uh, these uh, bilateral relations can go really, really wrong uh, 
also this this uh, labor migration question but how do you see what is the lukashenko administration's most likely next next move in this migration policy for the near future i think he will continue to use it uh, and we have to understand that as soon as there is a demand uh, both in Minsk, Kremlin, but also uh, among the people who want to get into the EU, this is a very easy tool to use. So in this regard, uh, it's very beneficial for him. He will continue to use it. We'll see how the Afghan problem will um, actually uh, play because uh, obviously there will be a lot of waves coming through Central Asia to Russia and then we remember very well the situation of a couple of years back when uh, unexpectedly these uh, migrants appeared on Finnish on the region borders so this might be uh, on, on Polish border again and this is very little that uh, uh, they could do so we can see that probably Moscow can if it finds it beneficial, it can actually step in and help uh, more Minsk to put this pressure on the West. Uh, so this will be an issue as soon as Minsk and Brussels relations are bad. <laughs> okay, so crisis is good for, <laughs> for the government uh, yeah. in anywhere in the, in the vicinity. Okay, uh, my final question is, uh, yes, you are a foreign policy expert and uh, I would like to look forward uh, into the future. So how do you assess the instrumental value of migration in the future? Well, I think this is, uh, this is the major question. I think that migration now is important, but it will become uh, more and more important in the future. And this is, uh, this is inevitable. And this is that um, we should prepare for. Uh, and there are a lot of factors, including not only wars and conflicts, but also climate change and so on and so forth, which will continue to increase the gap between uh, the global South and North and uh, will increase the migration pressure on the EU particularly. So I guess um, we will just follow it more and more and hopefully with our research we'll be able to find at least some answers. But will this continue to, to become a kind of constant instrument of pressure in foreign relations? I think, I think it will come and go as any pressure because what Lukashenko and other dictators or other governments in the, in the region show that um, basically as soon as you make something a constant pressure point, it loses its value. So you take, uh, let's say, you arrest uh, political prisoners, you have to release them at some point to, to use it as a proper instrument. Otherwise, if it becomes a constant problem, its value drops. So you need, in a sense, um, uh, use it in, in, in cycles. And uh, that's when it becomes a proper instrument, when it's used in a proper time. So I think that um, in, uh, this is uh, a case in point, the current problem, uh, that at some point it will stop. Uh, at some point, 
maybe abruptly, maybe not, but uh, it will disappear from, uh, from our radars, from the agenda, bilateral agenda as well. But it will immediately reappear as soon as the relations get sour again. So we will just have to understand that when the problem disappears, it doesn't mean that the factors disappeared as well. And that's why this is the question for the policy community, for academic community, to remind the governments, which tend to uh, not to see things in front of their eyes, that uh, they have to prepare and uh, act accordingly and not be surprised and caught by surprise by uh, when this crisis reappears again. Thank you. It was a, a very fine ending, actually. And thank you, Rihor, very much for this thought-provoking and very rich discussion. Thank you for inviting me.